Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, we're in San Francisco with two of the leading and probably biggest tech marketers in the B2B world on the mics today, just as the world's biggest tech vendor conference winds down. Of course, we're talking the Dreamforce gig from Salesforce with circa 40,000 people on the ground and another 100,000 plus streaming in. I think this is my fourth Dreamforce gig and it remains a mix of daunting choice and scale and classic American style evangelism. Everyone's pumped and excited about, well, pretty much everything. It's quite the contrast to Australia, where until we get to the pub or bar, the noise and engagement at events, at least, is pretty restrained. Australia's quite weird like that, but I digress. There's a massive list of key themes I want to cover today with these two marketers who are pushing the envelope in B2B and also showing some of their blue chip B2C colleagues what reinvented marketing and leadership looks like, whether it's dumping vanity metrics and perhaps finally the hope that last click or last touch attribution may be on its last legs to how these two global marketers are holding their investments around brand as economic conditions crimp. And we'll also cover what seems to be the theme of the year, creativity. So welcome Jim Habig, LinkedIn's Vice President for Marketing Solutions, and Colin Fleming, Global Head of Brand at Salesforce, who we can, by the way, also blame for creating this beast that is Dreamforce. Colin, I might start with you, given we are at Dreamforce, and welcome. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. This will be fun. It's, it will be. So how's, what's happening with you on, on marketing investment? Uh, you know, we've, we've just as we mentioned, lots of pressure on lots of companies. Uh, are you retracting, changing, holding? Where is your, where's your thinking at in terms of brand, marketing, and investment? Yeah, I think it's not our first downturn as a brand. We were founded in 1999, uh, right before the dot-com boom, or bust, I should say. Yes. Been through 2008, uh, and so we learned some lessons that were bringing into this this environment as well. Uh, and there's tons of research actually from LinkedIn that shows that companies that invest during these periods come out the other end in a really successful way. So, which is why we're doing our, you know, the biggest vendor-led conference in the world yeah. here at Dreamforce. Yeah, uh, slightly contrary, isn't it? But to your point though, there's lots of research. I think you, you mentioned the B2B Institute from LinkedIn have done it, there's quite a lot. But, and lots of marketers talk and cite the research, but sure. sometimes it's hard to do the research. So are you doing it, Connor? Is there pressure on you to change, chop, adjust? Look, nobody's immune from the economic environment right now. We're looking at everything, and, and we've spoken in the past throughout this idea of achievement over activity. And I think that's the big mantra inside Salesforce today, that ensuring that the levers we pull and the programs we put together are focused on achievement over activity. And I think that that's, that's probably the biggest shift, is just really holding ourselves accountable mm-hmm. to the efforts and to the outcomes of our work. Um, because we know that every dollar that we put into the market uh, is going to be looked at importantly, and not just from Salesforce at large, but also from our shareholders as well. And so that's really, really important. So we know that um, as with anything, we're more focused on operating margin than we've ever been in the past. And so mm-hmm. that that looks across the entire business, including marketing. And it's our job as marketing leaders to make sure that the work that we put forth is driving the, driving the numbers forward. And that's the most important part for us. I'm going to try and nail you again, Colin. So yeah, it's, it's um, <laughs> it, in holding brand or investing in brand when it's tough to do it, when it's, yeah. not, when it's not easy. Are you still doing that? Are you, is there changes? What, what is changing in your marketing? 
And are you holding on brand investment, which is that argument to play for the mid to long term rather than short? So you're doing that? Yes, 100%. Our brand investment has not changed uh, in terms of our strategy, our approach. And that's really, really important. You know, we talked about Dreamforce. We're here on, at the conference as well. Uh, this is the year we've put together our largest brand marketing efforts in the history of the company. Uh, that has not changed. And because we know that uh, you know, these periods of economic downturn or scrutiny are going to be relatively short term. Uh, we don't know the duration of them, but of course, we look at this as a five year investment for Salesforce. We know that buyers in the market are looking long term. We know the 95 5 rule. We know yeah. these things. And that's really, really important for us. And so, of course, we're being measured about it, uh, but we're not stopping. And that's the most important part. We have a very clear alignment with the board for financing in the future and making sure that we're building the business. We have grand ambitions to do exactly that and brand is a good way to do that. Yeah. Jim, where, and how's it for LinkedIn? Same same sort of pressures to be on, 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 the business, on your business of as well, Of course, right? yeah. I mean, same boat. I think Colin and I think very similar along, along these lines. Um, I think it's our job as marketers right now to have the iron stomachs amongst the, you know, the, the leadership team and really take that long view. You know, I, I mentioned in a... Um, in one of my staff meetings the other week, I said, you know, sometimes a storm is the best time to go fishing. One of my leads actually was uh, chimed in and was like, when is that ever the case? Said, you know, <laughs> well, fair enough. Nice I'm, metaphor. <laughs> I'm not a sailor, but I like the concept of it because yeah. now, now is the time where we can take that long view. We can actually, you know, poke our heads up and make sure that we're investing in the future of the, of the brand. So same boat as, uh, as Colin to extend the metaphor. I mean, we're, we're uh, holding firm with our brand investment. We think this is uh, a big time to go, uh, to go further with what we've been doing on t in terms of brand uh, and really you know, solidify our place in the market because this is the time when other folks are maybe taking their eyes off the ball. Mm. And so you've made adjustments then, Jim, but brand holds. Is that essentially the same thing you've made yeah, adjustments? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're continually defragging our, our budgets to make sure we're, um, you know, testing, iterating, making sure that we're getting the, the most uh, juice for the squeeze. But, but brand is one of those things that I'm trying to cordon off and, and uh, just not touch. Let it run. Because if you get too short-termism, it's like pulling right. your money out of the market at the exact wrong time, you know? So on that though, how are you going with your exec convincing your executive leadership teams um, that this is the smart, pragmatic, and business, uh, and it will produce results and outcomes for the business? Perhaps not now, but in six, twelve, two years' time, whatever. To both of you, are your executive team um, buying your line on this? Well, I, I think trust is a huge part of it. I think our our roles totally. are huge to make sure that with the finance organization, with our partners in distribution and sales, that there's a lot of trust that the work that we put forth is going to be super aligned to their KPIs, both in the short term, of course, but also in the long term. Yeah. And we know that you know uh, brand can be brand strength and brand reputation can be lost in a second. Mm -hmm. And so, making sure that you're managing that, making sure you're keeping ahead of it, um, and weathering the weathering the storm. I mean, the types of messages we put in the market are going to be more measured than they were. Right. Uh, in 20 earlier in this year, let's say. Um, and so we're thinking about more about the creative and the message we put in the market rather than necessarily reducing the investment. Um, it's hard to hold true in terms of what that looks like going forward, yeah. but the types of messages that you know we saw from uh, so many startups in yeah. the Super Bowl this year, <laughs> when you think about all the Web3 investment and stuff like that, you don't see that around right now. And no. I think that's that that's putting uh, putting examples out there of what the more measured environment looks like. Thankfully, we work for two large organizations yep. that have been through these types of downturns in the past. We've learned some lessons and in putting those into, into play here. Yeah. So, Jim, what, same for you. And what are the what are you being asked of by your executive leadership, though, in terms of this holding investment? Are you being asked anything? Um, I think that there's a, as Colin pointed out, you know, um, there's there's sort of an innate confidence in both of our orgs. We know that this stuff is going to work if we if we hold fast and we keep doing the right stuff. Make sure the creative's working. Make making sure everything is you know 
uh, buttoned up. But I think that this is where some of our um, you know, marketing is, is, is equal parts external and internal. And some of the storytelling internally uh, to our execs, and you know, Colin, you hit on it, but the using more of the language of the finance world when we're talking to our CFOs to show that, you know, this stuff equals pricing power, this investment in brand gets us that moat. How can we get some separation from, from competition? And I think if we can couch things in, in their terms, it's going to make it, you know, pal more palatable to the, to the broader org. Right, and, and Colin, on that, you're, have you you've changed your language then, and depending on your audience and internally? So you're talking to finance, and you're doing this now. And so, what is the language that you're using? Jim talked, gave us a couple of examples. What, how do you reframe what you do? Yeah, I think uh, there's always the balance of short term and long term. I think one of the things that we've um, historically turned to as a company, both in times of uh, prosperous, prosperous economic environment and downturns, is the value of community. And we've just gone through an un unbelievable three-year period that we've never seen in our lifetimes, of course. And uh, community is going to be more important than ever. We know how efficient word-of-mouth marketing is. Yeah. We know how efficient community development is yeah. and, and hard to do. Was, yeah, well, hard to measure quickly, too, isn't it? <laughs> quickly lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we see that across the board. And, you know, it's always hard to draw... Uh, a dashboard to the value of a community development, but we see it yeah. at events like this. When you walk around and see 40,000 plus people walking around with smiles on their face, yeah. hoodies, uh, celebrating. KPI for smiles. It's hard, there's no KPI for smiles, but <laughs> I tell you, that's really, really important. And all of our executives were blessed with it and just an incredible leadership team. Mm -hmm. uh, and they see that value. And I think that you know we've earned trust over the last five or six years showing the value of investment in brand. It's a relatively new thing. We spent the first 18 years of the company not investing in brand. We were yeah. a product marketing organization and our ability to, to earn trust by making incremental investments, showing the value of it along the way, has allowed us, I think, as a brand marketing team to weather this period. Um, mm -hmm. You know, of course, there's always the conversations on whether or not it makes sense to, oh, we got to turn all of our efforts to demand generate right exactly, now because we got to make exactly. the quarter. Those conversations are happening, but it's being balanced more now with like, yeah. but we can't lose sight of the long-term trajectory. Right. I'm curious on that. How much do you uh, blur the lines between your brand and performance investment? Do you try to, in these times, do you sort of like smudge the lines a little bit or you try and keep them more corn off? I think it's, we smudge the lines in terms of the message we put in the market. Right, um, right. You know, We have our dedicated budget for them and watch them closely. But I think mm -hmm. in terms of, we maybe reduce the altitude of our brand message. Of course. Yeah. Um, to make what sure. What does that mean? We make it, you know, a lot of the things we're doing now is making our message instead of about growth necessary, it's about cost efficiencies and automation and these things. Wow. And so it's really the altitude of the message that we've changed yeah. more so than how we distribute the budgets. Yeah, it's interesting. We're doing sort of the, um, we're also bringing the messaging closer together, but we're actually trying to elevate that more tactical sort of mm -hmm. acquisition-based message to something that is a little bit more inclusive of brand principles right. and sort of the, the identity of the brand uh, and trying to you know blur the lines, but more in that direction. What's Dreamforce? Is it brand? Is it, where does it sit in the funnel? Is it through the funnel? How do you view Dreamforce in an event? Because events yeah. have historically been essentially demand generation events, haven't they? They're sort of great sales funnels, uh, openers for, great door openers for sales. It's a good question. I don't know that I've ever thought of it in that context. I, I look at it slightly differently in the sense it's all the things. Dreamforce is our family reunion. Mm -hmm. And that's very much intentional. We say that both internally and externally. And I think that Anytime you have a community as large as hell, we have 17 million trailblazers. Yeah. You have to... Now, for, for those uninitiated, a trailblazer yeah. is what? It's a member of our community that right. is always learning, having fun, giving back, and giving back to the community. But they're registered. Part. They are logged in. Well, they're they're a registered, registered member of the trailblazer community. Right. And you've got 17 million of them. 17 million of them. And that, that requires a material amount of community development, yeah. engagement, 
Uh, and Dreamforce is an engagement activity for that. And this is obviously uh, an innovation uh, motion for us. This is mm -hmm. our Super Bowl. This is we, our product development roadmaps are yeah. built around this. Our marketing roadmaps are built around this. But I think it's a, more than anything focused mm -hmm. on the community. And I think that's invaluable to us as a company. We'll, we'll get in a little bit more to, to Dreamforce in a moment. I want to get to the sort of where we started talking around brand and, and performance and holding the course. Um, of course, the, the sort of the LinkedIn to the, uh, no pardon intended there, Jim, but the link into uh, some of this is measurement, right? And, and how you're, where you're, both your companies are at in terms of measuring important stuff, meaningful stuff. What is that? And, and how do you get to beyond this thing that we talked about earlier, Jim, on uh, that wonderful thing called last click attribution um, or last click? All those things that were crazy inventions that I think from the from the digital one, one of the wayward things that come out of mm -hmm. the digital boom is is last click and last touch. So if we get to metrics, Colin, we did something with you a few months back on vanity metrics. Can you wrap up again just for the for the listener what you did with vanity? You changed things around. You saw some of your metrics were measuring essentially something things that weren't important. Yeah, yeah. When, when I think when I look back, you know, a few years ago to when we were to report out on the success or failure of marketing, it would be, well, I did 30 of this and 45 of the other thing. Yeah. And that was the entirety of how we measured success in marketing. Mm -hmm. And that required a pretty material shift to, well, what is the value of that? And that's why I go back to this achievement over activity. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really important. So instead we, we built material sort of algorithms to look at the, we call our content engagement scores. So what is it doing? Is it moving traffic down the funnel? Mm -hmm. Is it, um, is that, what are they, are we spending time? Are we scrolling down the page? What's our total view of time percentage? And built a little bit of an algorithm that's pretty fantastic actually mm -hmm. to help us kind of view the activity or the achievement over the activity of things. And that's been a fundamental shift for us inside the company. We've also raised the bar for what quality looks like. The inclusion of Salesforce Plus, actually the pandemic was this awesome clean sheet of paper for us to mm -hmm. say, what if we blew all of this up? And we've now raised the bar and held what a piece of marketing activity or a program looks like at a much higher altitude, which has lessened the activity and hopefully when we're starting to see this, increase the achievement. Yep. So it's a great point and, and I just want to be clear there. So you're doing less content now than you were before simply 100%. because... 100% less? Uh, no, 100% less. <laughs> I wasn't agreeing yeah, with you, yeah. but... Uh, I'm not going to stat out of you then. That, would, that, be, that would be pretty material. We don't measure that in terms of overall volume of activity, but uh, it's it's material. So if your hunch would it be 15 to 20% less if you were going to have... Probably slightly more than that. So 30%? Yeah, somewhere wow. in there. Okay, so you're, you're doing up to 30% less volume in your content, for instance, but you're getting better um, results out of that because you're being more selective and... What are you doing differently? I think we're holding each other accountable more than we ever have. I think holding a uh, holding ourselves accountable to congrate that's a great piece of content you created, but what's it doing? Yeah. And I think what we found is things that we thought were awesome before weren't that awesome. Yeah. And things that we sort of rolled our eyes at totally. have been some of the highest performing content we've ever created. Yeah, I'll give us an example. What do you mean by that? So uh, I'll give you one example. Um, we created a series on Salesforce Plus called Salesforce on Salesforce, which sounds to me like a myopic thing that we <laughs> cringe at, right? <laughs> runaway success for us. Yeah. And what this content is, is just, here's how a company, 80,000 employees, $31 billion company is solving the problems that every other company is, is having. Yeah. And we're just shining a light in a very transparent, humble, and frankly, not a very highly produced way mm -hmm. of how we're doing it. And I think, and we're giving templates and offering how-to content to help them yeah. go on that similar journey. I turned my nose up at this idea initially. I'm like, that sounds terrible. It's it's unbelievably successful right yeah. now. In fact, so much so that we brought a massive part of our expo hall here around this exact same content. Mm -hmm. and so for me, those are the things that, you know, I've learned from, I was totally wrong about. Yeah. And uh, the ability to measure these things 
has had the opportunity to spotlight this. Because you were measuring it differently, though. Correct. You were measuring engagement, scroll time, scroll depth, all those things came into, into play and 100%. said, okay, you've got deeper engagement there. Yep. Right, Jim, how's it looking for you? And we'll get to broader, you know, in and around what just Colin talked about with content and your mm-hmm. activity, but also we'll get also to your thoughts on, on measurement because we do yeah. have a problem. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. So we're in a similar situation. So the thing I keep telling my team is more wood, fewer arrows. Like we want to do fewer things done much better. And that uh, gives over to a mindset where we're trying a lot of things, but we have to be very candid with ourselves on the things that aren't working. It comes down to measurement. But we have to be willing to kill our darlings because uh, mm-hmm. that's the only way that we're, you know, the, the cream will rise to the top. So it's really important for our org, and it's something that we're um, thinking a lot about with like LinkedIn Collective and sort of our new content franchise. Uh, how do we actually go to folks who are, you know, canonical voices in the space and have and solicit opinions from them, uh, and and you know, put those uh, sort of leverage the the um, wisdom of the crowd here, uh, and let those pieces sort of uh, flow to the top. And so more broadly, Jim, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked uh, before about there is a measurement problem and the first step is in admitting it. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's an analogy there I won't go into. I'm very tempted to, but I won't. <laughs> um, but admitting there is a problem. Exactly. And you, you fully admit there is a measurement problem. So yeah. what, what, yeah. what are the... Where do you go with it? What I think happens we've next? had you know good enough uh, measures for for a long time, but really we need to um, everyone needs to admit to themselves that we're on a journey here, you know. And I think moving from like what's the what's the KPI, what's the north star, to more of a measurement mosaic, and taking all these things into account. I mean, I've confessed to you in the past, Paul. We're still using Last Touch. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're not proud of it, but it's it's Same important. Here. Yeah. See, look. <laughs> right. This is this is a this is an anonymous group here. Um, but, uh, <laughs> You know, we, we still are using it because we've built the heuristics around right. it and we, we have some muscle memory there that we just, we can't let go of, but that alone is not enough. We need to take this into account with other, you know, other metrics and more modeling, more MMMs uh, and get a, a fuller picture. So the first step for us was just saying, hey, you know, we've come to terms with that, but it's not good enough. We got to take the next step. And so that looks like multi-touch attribution and all those are things you talk about. Where are you? You're just starting out now to look at alternatives, Jim, in terms of, and why? I mean, what, what are you wanting to measure? Yeah, it's been a process. I mean, we just want a fuller picture. So um, we are moving towards more of an MTA model and um, doing, you know, really specific spot checks on incrementality to make sure that we're, you know, uh, designing experiments such that we get a good signal back and we can do sort of like trust but verify of mm-hmm. even the model. Uh, but it's it's a process. Like I'll, I'm not going to tell you this has been an easy thing. I've only been here for uh, was it seven months now. Uh, but you know this was work that predated me, and we've been working with our internal teams to to move it forward. Um, it's taken about a year. So uh, and, and but now we're on the precipice of just getting better signal out of the out of the efforts that we're doing. Um, and so last touch, last click for you, Colin. I mean, to me, it, you talk about vanity metrics. That's that's the most vain thing of all. But you can correct me because I'm just sitting from the outside. I don't do. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those ugly truths of marketing organizations right now. Uh, and this is where a lot of us operate, right? And yep. I think one of the things that we've shifted to and why we created something like Salesforce Plus is really focusing on audience over last touch and form completes, if that yeah. makes sense. And so really thinking about what is the value of a subscriber? And instead of subscribing or filling out a form for an ebook, mm-hmm. what happens if we can get our customer, our prospects to subscribe to Salesforce? Mm-hmm. And that can mean 
high fidelity content that's helpful for them. That can mean community, that can mean uh, questions and answers, helpful content, mm -hmm. that can mean a myriad of things, help them grow their career, inspire them. We are really fascinated with that. And I don't have, there's no MTA model that will show me the ultimate value of that, yeah. but we're seeing it with our deployment of our CDP. Mm -hmm. We're drawing behavior and a broader audience than Salesforce's ever have. And you better believe that some piece of content that we put in front of them, yeah will eventually get them to convert in some yeah, way, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the 95% of, of the course. people out of the market. We know yeah. at some point they're gonna move into that 5%, we hope they will. Yeah. And we wanna be there when they're ready to do so. And that's where marketing to an audience over a yeah. uh, over a dashboard necessarily can Absolutely. be really the most important part I think it us. all comes down to relationships. You just wanna develop that relationship with your customer over time. And they might not even be your customer yet, but they've raised their hand and said, hey, I'm interested in what you have to say. Maybe down the line, we're gonna, right. you know, Take, take it to the next. Well, one. on that though, so you know, so when how long's last click around for you, Colin? You're gonna you're gonna hold on to it because it's still got some sort of marginally non-vain purpose. We are actively planning a funeral. But I I come to the wake. But I think the hard part is, you know, with 23 year history of the company, there's a lot of business process yeah. that's been built around that exact model. When you think about the totally. way that our SDRs work or the way that our entire field measures success of marketing. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, we're, we're peeling back that onion very aggressively. And as I said, planning the funeral, but it is something that it'll be with us for some time. We, we, are, we are actively modifying how we attribute these things, um, but we're not able to eliminate it quite yet. So if I'm planning another trip, should I be planning a trip to a funeral in 12 months, 18 months, two years? What, what, where should I, what, where's the broad thing? I'd give it 12 to, 12, 12 to 24 months before um, that happens. I was gonna go down the funeral analogy further, but I'm sorry. No, but I think, um, I think we need a forcing function. I talked about the clean sheet of paper with the yeah. pandemic before. Mm -hmm. I really feel like this, perhaps this, this economic environment we find ourselves in is that clean sheet of paper for how we think about measuring Hopefully. the business. Because, and it's all about word of mouth too, because yeah, yeah. this is the thing, we, last click does it does nothing for understanding or we don't really understand word of mouth other than other than it works you just it's really hard to measure it's hard sure. to track measure and then quantify impact mm -hmm. but we know it happens so you got some thoughts on what you know basically how do you what do you do with those activities that brands and companies do yeah. that are actually really powerful but not measurable yeah yeah it's a, it's becoming an increasingly important part of linkedin where uh you know we're a marketing channel but really the the most salient sort of product recommendation that you'll get is from somebody that you know somebody mm -hmm. that you're connected with one of your you know linkedin connections so trying to invest more in that organic side of the story. So how do pages uh, or how do brands show up with pages on the platform? How do they engage with the community? How do they go out and walk around in this, in this um, you know, environment, in this ecosystem uh, as, and, and exhibit their brand? You know, because that's what it all comes down to. You got to have a feel, you got to have a texture for it. So it's, it's a big part of how we uh, coach customers is, listen, this marketing, if you're just investing in the paid side of it, it's just half the story. The other half is in that organic story and how your brand is getting up and going out and walking around. Mm. And so, and word of mouth for you, Colin, because you know there's a lot of it here yeah. in Dreamforce. This is a pardon the French, but there's shitloads of it. Like <laughs> there is a lot of talk, there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of buzz, and people are talking. I mean, short of you know recording everything, yeah. um, you can How do you quantify it? What's the value of a brand, right? If you've yeah. got a healthy brand with a strong reputation for innovation, for customer success, for other values, 
we encourage that. Like the word of mouth is healthy for us, we feel. And that's why events like Dreamforce exist. In fact, a lot of the, the sessions and meetings we have here, Salesforce is not involved in them. Mm-hmm. We bring our customers in to do round tables, birds of a feather, yeah. and we push them in the room and walk out and let magic happen. And that's a huge part of the value of Dreamforce. Again, can't yeah. put a dashboard on that. I've not found one yet. Yeah. But um, we see a material pipe maturation, sure. we see material deals being signed based on, hey, I spoke with your customer over here, absolutely loved it, I'm ready. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, again, that's the value of a brand is if you, if you manage, if you're able to build a reputation and a strong brand in that way, those are the things you shine a light on rather than shy yeah. away from. It's the thing I appreciate about this event is it's, you've created a center of gravity for the B2B space right. and brings in enough folks. You got a critical mass. Everybody's, you know, mixing in sort of, you got the frisson of, of bumping into each other and it's really exciting. And that, that center of gravity has, um, is one of the great, you know, um, uh, sort of side uh, effects of, of this, uh, yeah, this right. whole thing. I want to get into, I'm going to come back to the conference um, to, in a couple of minutes. Um, uh, one of the things that obviously has been big on both your radars this year has been creative and creativity. And of course, we had the Can Alliance for B2B early this year. Both of you were there and a lot of conversation around this. Jim, you, you make some interesting uh, observations that in many instances, B2B is starting to diverge from B2C in some areas, but mm-hmm. in creative and creativity, it's actually converging. Yep. So um, talk us through that thought bubble, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like, I, like as you mentioned, I do think we're going to see um, B2B sort of grow out on its own uh, in things like measurement, as we've been talking. Uh, but on, on the topic of creativity, I think we're actually going to see some convergence because, to be honest, there's a lot of tricks from the B2C world that that you know we could appropriate. Uh, you know, I, I think about things like mascots and spokespeople. Why are there so few of them in the B2B space? You could probably count them on one hand, right? Ninety percent um, of them be at Dreamforce. Salesforce well, is about as they've been. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks I'm for leading the charge. I'm on sitting that one, next Colin. to the main progenitor of this, but he gets it. You know, it's because this stuff works. So you're creating you know mental models that. Um, just make your brand more available. And uh, yeah, I don't understand why the B2B world hasn't wrapped its arms around that uh, because the stuff works. So for you though, Jim, creativity, how are you applying that? So what are you doing at LinkedIn to walk the talk on that? What is What should or could we see differently happening? You know, I think uh, a lot of it's going to come down to um, talent and sort of how we think about um, approaching campaigns. You know, there's for since time immemorial, all the best creative talent in the world has wanted to go work on B2C stuff because mm-hmm. that's the sexy stuff, right? But there's an opportunity to establish um, a better pedigree yeah. of creativity in B2B and lure some of that talent over to, hey, aren't these challenges fun? Isn't this hard fun mm-hmm. over here in the B2B space? And so it comes down to agency selection. Let's go to some of those folks who have been um, traditionally working in this B2C world and see if we can't learn a trick or two from them. What about, um, you talk about also, you know, B2B, and I, and I think Collins has said it in the past too, B2B needs to fess up and just acknowledge that emotion is okay. It's not all rational, exactly. dry, hardcore totally. product message or sell messages, call to action messages. Mm-hmm. Um, emotion exists. Um, and I think the B2B Institute's done a lot of work around that too, Jim. But yep. so, so what do you mean by, how, how do you convince your B2B <laughs> industry peers 
that it's actually okay to have a bit of life <laughs> in their comms. We're still trying to figure it out, but I think that's the biggest canard in this industry is that there's, um, uh, you know, B2B decision makers are these automatons and they're just making purely rational <laughs> decisions in like a bubble. Um, and that's just simply not true. They're, they're real folks. They've got jobs. They've got uh, teams. They've got bosses. They're trying to make everybody happy. They've got their mortgages. Decisions, they got mortgages. <laughs> yeah, they're exactly. trying to keep their jobs, right? Uh, and once we recognize that, it's like, actually, that opens up a whole creative canvas of how we talk to them. It's, it doesn't need to just be like, hit them with the stat. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had uh, ideas, sort of crazy ideas, not necessarily LinkedIn, but in prior lives, shot down because they didn't have the like, what's the concrete reason to believe? And it's gotta yeah. be 97%, you know? Right, right. Uh, and I think we need to get away from that. We need to realize there are other ways to influence. Colin, your thoughts on that? Because you're, in fact, um, Jim's one of Jim's colleagues from the Institute I heard this week um, here at Dreamforce on the on the LinkedIn set saying um, quite comfortably that you're probably um, the most creative B2B marketer in the world. Um, so I should <laughs> give your nice autograph John before I forget. Yeah. <laughs> yes, John, John Lombardo. That was not paid that, place. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's hitch his name to it, there shall we? There we go. Nice. Yeah, I think, look, uh, there's a lot of Bs in B2B, but none of them stand for boring. Yeah. And I think that that's really, really important. And I think that we... Um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed uh, to be at Salesforce in a company that started the company with a huge point of view on the world and a lot of emotion in it. And I think uh, really what I've tried to do in my role at this company is just to shine and get back to that state and shine a light on what really matters. Yeah. And I think that um, I'm lucky to have the license from our leadership team to be able to do that. That's I, I, I try not to take that for granted because I know a lot of marketers in our shoes don't have that. And yeah. Mel on your team is just fantastic in that same Absolutely. vein. Absolutely. So it's really about how do we shine a light on that and what really matters in the world. You know, I just, in fact, I was making a purchasing decision yesterday and the procurement team came to me with like, here's your 17 step spreadsheet yeah. of all the things. And I'm like, you know what? The company that was third yeah. was the company that I wanted to do business with yeah. because I trusted them and there was emotion there and they had, yeah. a, they had innovation exactly. and they had gravitas as a company. And the procurement team looked at me like, you've got to be crazy. Yeah. And yeah. like B2B purchasing decisions, I try to look at my own experience, mm -hmm. can happen on both sides. Mm -hmm. And I know that result will be stronger than the what the spreadsheet told me to buy. Absolutely. And I think that that's really, really important. Why it's hard to measure the smiles on campus here at Dreamforce. Yeah. I can't yeah. measure that. But the emotion that's attributed to the efforts that we put forth is invaluable. Yeah. And every company, that every peer in the B2B space that we look at is enviable of the brand reputation and the smiles and the culture that we've been able to develop. So, so did you actually Salesforce. beat the spreadsheet in this instance? I beat the spreadsheet. Okay. <laughs> big, big occasion. <laughs> to a degree, uh, but I think you know. I think that there's, uh, there's you know, we talked about the rational, the logical yeah, yeah. decision making. There's a lot of emotion happening, and and you know, we're all consumers at the end of the day. You know, I, I'm I, just interested in, in, in you know, if the spreadsheet said and procurement are saying there is the rational best value choice, which I imagine is what they've discovered and decided on yes. the spreadsheet. What was the conversation that you had <laughs> with procurement that said we're not I, doing that. I know. <laughs> That's it, number one, but number one is actually number three. It was active. It was an active discussion. I will tell you one of the things, and this is in the Salesforce Plus arena. Um, uh, so we're, we're, there's no playbook for doing what we're doing. Right. There is no spreadsheet to say, here's how you build a B2B streaming platform. It doesn't exist. And so a spreadsheet's not going to tell me what that outcome should look like. And I think uh, I, I often follow the spreadsheet if my procurement friends are listening. Uh, <laughs> but in this case, I didn't. And I think that 
Um, when you're building something that's never been done before, you have to take risks and you have to take yeah. leaps of faith on things. And this sounds like a tactical example, but I think it's really interesting in, in terms of how we think about our own customer buying behavior, mm -hmm. in terms of if we can show the value of a community, a little bit of a wink and a nod from the characters walking around campus, yeah. uh, successful customers saying, I fall in love and I've built my career on Salesforce. Mm -hmm. That's gonna weigh in on the decision-making. I've never found the dashboard that will tell me that, yeah. but we know it to be true. And I think that's something that B2B companies need to rely upon more mm -hmm. than ever before. I was just thinking about the characters and what, what Jim was talking about before, about building characters and what you've done with, with Salesforce, with your products and, and building you know characters around them. You're becoming Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> like you walk, in, you walk through Dreamforce yeah. and like the forest and the trees and the icons and the characters it's like it's literally you really are seeing a multi-layered entertainment theme park that's mm -hmm. actually applied to branding and products yeah um, and I, i'm not trying to dumb it down it just it's just no i think that as a compliment yeah. All right. i think that's Good. um it's not our primary objective but it is we look to disney for inspiration we look to consumer brands for inspiration i don't look to sap or microsoft or adobe for what i should be doing well, in you fact, wouldn't I, be doing what you'd be doing if you were. I purposefully avoid it. Right. And I think that, um, right, wrong, or otherwise, that's really uh, created a layer of differentiation for us that a lot of companies, I think, would aspire to have. Mm. Differentiation. Let's talk CAN for a quick mm -hmm. second. Some of the feedback that I got from CAN was, one, B2B globally, very, very uh, enthralled with the fact that there is a benchmark competition to now just show what good looks like in B2B creative. Right? That's sort of the underlying yeah. uh, acknowledgement and happiness factor around that. Mm -hmm. However, when you were at the at CAN, and I was, and I, uh, you look at the winners the first year, ironically, here's me who doesn't mind creativity saying, yeah, but where are the numbers? But the, in the awards <laughs> and the entries, there wasn't a lot of business impact proof points around the it's creative stuff. a sensitive stuff. subject at Salesforce. Oh, is it? Yes, that, that exact outcome was a sensitive subject, right. actually. Because we, we hold ourselves accountable to, we talked about achievement over activity, and we saw, and I mean, super thrilled to have a B2B award yeah. at Cannes, and mm -hmm. thanks to LinkedIn for helping do that. Apple won the award. Right. They won the, they won the gold lion. And... Mm -hmm you know, there wasn't a whole lot of business achievement attached to that. And I think there was a, it was a pretty sensitive thing inside Salesforce of like, we can't apply the same measurement criteria yeah. to a award that you do to B2C. It's mm -hmm. just a different ball game. Yeah. The principles can be consistent. The emotion can be consistent. And that's the thing we try to do is bring it, bring what's really working in there is, but we have to measure ourselves a little differently. And I think that, um, I think we have some growth that can to do exactly yeah. that. Right. And that's, and I guess, Jim, that's the thing, right? It's the first year, it's evolving. Year. You, you would, you would yeah. hope that, you know, there's an early uh, heads up on what sort of work was entered. More will be entered next year. Yeah. But what, what would you, you know, you're a big partner on the, on the can stuff. Is that, is all everything we just talked about reasonable? Yeah, no, I think it's a fair criticism. And this year was really about dropping a pin and getting started mm -hmm. with this and having, you know, a industry-wide conversation about what good looks like in B2B. Mm -hmm. and I think we did answer that brief. You know, we, we inspired, we um, set some, you know, lines of demarcation. And now we'll, next year, I'm super excited for what we'll see because there, we are having this exact discussion yeah. and, and that's going to bring more of the, you know, um, the impact to the fore. Let's talk talent for a minute. Tom. Um, Maybe the talent crisis. I don't know. What's your sense with the sort of the, the sort of the contraction in the economy? Uh, will we see less heat and pressure now around talent migration, churn, burn, and you know the perks and all the other things that go on? Um, so I guess I'll ask both of you that. Do you think there's going to be a sort of a, a cooling down on demand for talent? First thing, but over and above that, the second question is: Do we need to look at 
what sort of talent we're hiring and going differently and wider. And I know both of you are really good examples of this. You know, Colin, you're a Red Bull racing car driver in a previous universe and a previous life. And Jim, you're, in, you know, I think an English literature grad yep. with a sort of a... Specialist in uh, modernist poetry and oh, semiotics. Right. <laughs> semiotics, right. So absolutely perfect for a marketing role. I think um, so. As is a Red Bull racing car driver. So the, the talent thing here is, I mean, you guys are coming from lateral places in yeah Yeah. um what do you do that in terms of what what do you say about that in in terms of the people that you hire and what sort of people that marketing uh needs to bring in you're the expert here i I you're an english major so it's it's great to um i think that there's a tremendous opportunity in front of us to uh broaden our aperture on the types of folks we hire and um and look for more lateral ways in. I mean, I was I was telling you and I wasn't, you know, just being complimentary. I like to hire journalists in, into yeah. um, product marketing roles because what is product marketing? But you airdrop into a world, you understand it implicitly, you turn around and you distill that in the simplest way possible to the to the uh, folks on the other side of that equation. Um, that's a great a great way in, and it's maybe you know non traditional in one sense. You but, can hire more journalists, just don't hire any of mine. Okay, I've got to keep them on this side. But it's a great point. That's unconventional, isn't it? Exactly. Mm. What about you, Colin? Well, I think obviously again, I keep going back to that clean sheet of paper uh, analogy here. After the pandemic, I think you know we uh, LinkedIn, Salesforce, all these companies in Silicon Valley here have all been fighting for the same talent for yep. so long. That game is over. Oh yeah, the entire world has opened up, mm-hmm. and that is a new ball game. And um, it's really been in, insightful to figure out where are the hot spots for marketing, brand marketing talent. Yeah. We're hiring BDC marketers like we've never done yeah. before. Yeah. That's really fascinating to me. Um, and you're getting them; they're showing interest. They're coming. They're, tr- they're crossing the bridge. But again, it's a value of a brand that they might not go to most B2B companies, yeah. right. but they'll come to Salesforce. Right. And the creative team, the, the talent we've been able to hire recently has just been astonishing mm-hmm. because A, we're showing investment in the brand. B, B, we've brought some emotion and some personality back into it. Mm-hmm. And I think that has opened up our recruiting. Again, something that, again, something's not going to be on a dashboard. My yep. ability to recruit top talent. Mm-hmm. I can't find that. But because of the investment in the brand, I, the, the, the halo effect continues into hiring as well. They see that you back it up. Right. Yes. Okay. So Dreamforce, Colin, it's your baby, your beast. You've been sort of, you've got responsibility for it, um, good and bad. And in this instance, first <laughs> time back since 2019, it's been really good. It looks to me like it's back to where it was beforehand. 40,000 people floating around and everyone is chirping and, and talking. So key takeouts for you you know you could all i would almost say salesforce is sort of a benchmark b2b event company and everyone in the world looks to what you do at dreamforce any lessons and learnings coming out of what you've done differently and the impact that dreamforce you expected to have this year coming back after three years and what's happened yeah you know it's often been said that salesforce is is an events company that happens to sell software on the side it's a huge part of our go-to-market engine and of course uh, that clean sheet of paper we talked about pivoted our mentality a little bit. We've brought a lot of those learnings into into 2022. We're thrilled with the demand for the event. Uh, the quality of the people at this event has never been higher. And, and let's be clear, you're charging for this. This is $2,000 a head to get there. It's not yeah. like you're putting this on as a big um, love-in for the world. Every person on campus is paid to be here. And that's uh, actually a, a slight shift in how we've approached it in the past where we had free day passes or something mm-hmm. like that. This is a full conference only attended event. And I think uh, I mentioned it before, but it's our family reunion, right? Every, you need to build community in these things. And we've been apart from each other 
for three years. In fact, the title of the keynote on the first day here was The Great Reunion, yeah. very intentionally, because our community told us that they needed this. This isn't the best Dreamforce ever. We always say that every year. This is the most important Dreamforce ever because we're resetting what has been a tumultuous three years. And this is an opportunity for us to build community, of course, demand. There's a lot How, of You've written business off the back of it here. How's that gone? Of course. Better than what you've seen previously? hundred percent. We're thrilled. I mean, there's so much pent up demand after three years. We, we did Dreamforce last year. It was a thousand people. Mm -hmm. The year before that, it was Mark and Brett in a tree in a park. <laughs> and so um, this is an opportunity for us to really reset the community. And I have to be honest, I was um, anxious going into this, not knowing what demand would look like after three years. Has yeah. the Dreamforce magic gone away? It, never on my watch would I be comfortable with that. But I'll tell you what, I was scared. And it just shows the value of a brand. I keep going back to that. Yeah. The magic is here and perhaps stronger than ever. We're thrilled with the turnout, the emotion, the vibe, the energy. Uh, everything's here. And so we're back and uh, looking forward to next year. It is the most evangelical conference I ever go to in, <laughs> in my life, in my career. Yeah. And, and the buzz is it's a really different to a lot of other, other ones. That's deliberate, right? You, want, you, you foster that. But look, how do you get people to do that stuff? Well, I think the evangelism is in the community already, but you mentioned the Disney reference before. I mean, we try to make this a, you walk into a new world. We call it Dreamforce National Park on purpose. You walked mm -hmm. into a national park. It changes your mindset. We're not, there's plenty of practitioner how-to content around the depths of technology that Salesforce offers. But we're also, we have Simu Liu here today. We have Alex Honnold here today. We've had Al Gore last night, Bono, Matthew McConaughey, Jennifer Hudson. There's something for everyone here. CEOs to hands-on keyboards practitioners, there's something for everybody and that's very much intentional. It's kind of like this hybrid uh, mix of technology, culture, community, it all comes together in this event. There's, you can't describe Dreamforce, you have to experience it and that's very much intentional. Key watch outs for the market in the next 12 months for your B2B and B2C peers, marketing full stop, tech full stop, key watch outs for you for the next 12 months. Yeah, I go back to the achievement over activity. That's something that I, my team is uh, heard from me every waking day. Um, that's important. I think the value of, you know, you, if you could build brand for five years, if you let your foot off the throttle totally, you lose it all. Yep. And I think making sure that we're staying steadfast here and making sure we're looking at the long term, that's mm -hmm. really important for every brand, not just a Salesforce or LinkedIn or anything. Absolutely. Those are important things. And then don't forget that we're all humans. Not bots, to Jim's point earlier, right? And there's some people. of those out there, but we're mostly. Yes, but not you, us. you not make us. them. We make them. Yeah, you design them. them. Yeah, yeah you, sell them, you sell the bots. Um, I didn't get <laughs> to you on the, on the talent thing. Do you think that heat's going to come out of the talent market because of what's happening in the economy? I don't. Oh, you I don't, don't think there's so going. much talent out there in the world right now. I think, um, and it's, I, I think if it was in 20, 2019, we might be having that conversation because we were hiring very locally and it was very intentional and in where we were placing our hires. I'm hiring, my job descriptions are based on time zone now. Mm -hmm. not on city or location. And that just opens up all kinds of opportunity. And I think that that's something that um, has only heated up the talent market for us. There's a lot of incredible talent out there. We've seen a lot of layoffs from top, top, top technology companies. Yeah. So that's for you. But I think for the market, do you think the heat out of the overall talent market's coming off or not? You don't, you talk about some of the redundancies. I've seen no in inclination that that's going to happen personally. Right. Okay, it's going to hold. Yeah. Okay. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, you should go and run your empire oh, yeah, um, and the you. National Park and, and all the rest. <laughs> Thanks, um, Colin Fleming, for joining. Great conversation. Yeah. We'll let you go. I'll continue with Jim for a couple of minutes. Sounds and good. Um, thank you. So, Jim, I want to come back to, well, I might ask you the talent thing too. Do you sure. agree with, with Colin on the fact that um, talent is, the heat's still going to be in that market? I certainly think so, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I've seen no indication that the air is going out of that balloon. 
you see any signals on because obviously LinkedIn's an early signal mm -hmm. um, for all that same activity still happening. Same. Okay, it's interesting because uh, I'll get your thoughts, and it's a question without notice. But um, the CEO of uh, Seek in Australia, or global CEO of Seek, which is mm -hmm. obviously part of competitor to LinkedIn, talked about how a lot of the expectations from for talent around purpose and culture of the company and the perks mm -hmm. and all those other intangibles are actually in Australia at least, and this is Australia, it's a bubble for professional people because mm -hmm. the, the great, at a, at a pure maths number, right. the majority of Australians at least are not looking at those things as important. What they want is a job mm -hmm. and they are looking for maybe some flexibility, but it's about their wages and it's really, yeah. really basic stuff and, and none of the highfalutin that some of our, we, yeah. you know, uh, white collars like to get into. Could we be in a bit of a bubble versus the rest of the population? Well, I think it, uh, to bring it all the way back to where we started this conversation, I think a lot of it comes down to brand, you know, and and how um, your corporation presents to the world. And it really comes down to, is that going to be a fun place to work? And I think that there's a lot of intangibles that go into that. Um, and, you know, how can I uh, fulfill my career aspirations there? Uh, but I think that could take many forms, you know, but I think at the, at the um, uh, barest minimum, it has to be a successful company too, you know, and I think that there's, um, you can't have one without the other. They have to go hand. Oh, look, hand. and I'm not suggesting at all that um, uh, it's not irrelevant for the markets we're trying. I'm trying to, I, you know, I try to hire journalists. I've got the same issue, right? They've got the same sort of expectations. So it's not that it's irrelevant. And we keep interesting poaching them because I love journalists for PM Emeralds. Um, yeah, no, so I'm not telling you any of that. In fact, I'm watching you from now on. Um, you, you can keep pulling from America. That's okay. Sure. Hey, listen, I'm just interested in, in also your thoughts on Dreamfall. This is your first, right? Yeah, you're, first you're, time. You're a, you're a San I'm Francisco, yeah. you know, resident, but... And I think you, like a lot of locals say, when Dreamforce is on, you don't go into the city. That's yeah. essentially the, uh, the clue. Well, yeah, growing up in the area, uh, Dreamforce was uh, the time that you just didn't go to downtown. But now being on the other side of it. So actually, I have a f uh, familial connection to it. My sister's been coming for years because she's actually been in the B2B marketing space just as long as I have. And, right. Um, and she loves it and comes back every year, but it was very She had a proxy fun. feed. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I, I got sort of like the, um, you know, a little bit of the uh, the tales of, of Dreamforce from her. And um, so I got a little bit of the, you know, I got a little bit of the bug, but it was great to be here this year in person and experience it firsthand. We keep talking about the, the Disney uh, analogy, but I think it's so true. This is world building, you know? This is, um, and it gets to the question of like, is this a performance? Is this a branding effort? What 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 is Disney uh, Resort? You know, it's it's well, it's everything. It's, it's everything. It's all brand. of it, isn't it? Yeah. A, it is the summation of what they're about, um, and it is it it is a lot to wrap your your arms around, but in a in a delightful way. So, key watchouts from you. What's yep. your top two or three for you, and when? What would you say to the market? I'd say. Don't divest of your brand investment right now. You know, that's where I think a lot of folks are going to be like, oh, well, let's just break that piggy bank because we need it right now. But that is, those are bets on your future, you know, and, and it's like, don't, don't cash it in now. Keep, um, stay the course and leverage the tools at your disposal to make that pitch to your, to your leadership, to your um, financial partners. 
uh, because it's going, it, it is, we know it to be true. It is a very important um, focus for us, especially in these, in these tougher times. Um, I think the talent question is another thing that's on my radar for, um, for opportunity and challenge. Uh, we are, you know, I think there will be like some, um, some opportunities to grow the team smartly uh, in, in the coming cycle. Um, and I, I think Colin's got a great idea of like hiring around time zones and opening up the aperture to, to uh, other disciplines. Uh, how can we bring more folks in from, um, from uh, lines of work that weren't necessarily like the feeder ones for, for whatever roles we have? So Racing cars and English to, literature. Exactly, all of that. exactly. Hey, I'm going to um, scan the bookshelves of all my candidates for Derrida. You know, <laughs> I want to make sure you, you're you know, up on your semiotics. Uh, no, I think, and, and that's a tremendous opportunity too. Um, so, so those are the things that are on my mind. One more thing, which is I'm busting to ask, and you, you can decline, um, but as you were a long-time exec with Google and with YouTube, mm -hmm. you left. Mm -hmm. Why? Isn't it, you know, a benchmark? Yeah, it was, and I still have uh, utmost fondness for for that company, and a lot of my friends still work there. It's a, um, it's one of those things where, you know, you do something for uh, a while, and you just you you need a new challenge, you need a new thing. I think the the thing I I realized about myself when I was working there is, I love challenger brands. I love taking something from something small. And making it into something much bigger and that process is what i get a lot of energy from and you do that for long enough and i don't mean to like sound arrogant here but it's not a challenger brand anymore it's, right. a, it's, a, it's a it's a um it's a big thing and everything you know all the furniture is bolted to the ground you can't move uh, as fast and and so that's that's the um the thing that i i'm always hungry for that and i think we've got a really interesting story here at linkedin around b2b and how people don't think about it in the right way and how can we uh broaden you know broaden the horizons of, of this discipline give us a hint what are you going to do with linkedin uh, to your point you've been you've only been there six or seven months give us your whole strategic uh, sure outline, thing. No, uh for you paul anything um <laughs> a lot of it comes down to this cross-disciplinary experimentation so I'll give you one example. We're, um, you know, everybody does ABM, account-based marketing in some capacity. We're actually partnering with um, a legendary restaurateur, Will Guidara, to reimagine what that looks like. This is like. the New York. Yeah, one of the 11 Madison Park. Right, right. right. Um, and he's working on some other cool stuff, but, uh, and he's like a, a friend of the, a friend of the crew. Um, but can we borrow some of the conceptual architecture of the hospitality industry and bring it into um, account-based marketing? Maybe we can reinvent this whole uh, discipline around that. And I think that's a that's a very cool exploration. We're thinking about other ways that we can um, borrow some of the the conceptual territory from the art world, from the music business, from uh, other disciplines, and just cross pollinate. Well, you're really teasing us there, though, Jim. I mean, basically, well, I how do you, so? How um, my imagination <laughs> is now going account based marketing and one of the world's great restaurants. Yeah, well, help me we, break it all down to its, its most basic components. What is uh, the customer relationship, but but uh, hospitality? Right. You know, it's it's um, anticipating the things that they need before they need them. And if we can, uh, Will's got this great idea of uh, unreasonable hospitality. How do you dial that all the way up to eleven? Uh, and if we can 
use that idea as a even just an ethos, an approach. And so we want to get in a room and just kick some ideas around, right. see Good. what see so what it's, grows it's, out it's, of it. It's really is open sourcing here. You're, you're exactly. kicking, kicking it open. Exactly. It's good. And, and out of that, is, well, interesting you say, you talk about creativity. That is creative thinking. That is unconventional thinking, exactly. un- unconventional approaches. That's kind of what we're talking about, are we? Yeah. Yeah. I had this, uh, this mantra for my team at Pinterest, which was Zig. It's like, I don't, I just want to go in a different direction. I right. just want to try something else. Right. You know, everything that, that folks were thinking is like the, the logical next step. I just want to see what the opposite of that might look like. Jim Habig, I am going to reluctantly have to let you go and do your real job and real work, but great conversation and look forward to follow up in, in coming months on what LinkedIn next looks like. I know it's coming up, right? Uh, Paul, thank you so much for having me. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.